What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's job raps, of course. Josh, I'm coming to you from a closet. I am I, in a friggin' closet right now. I could I could not be in a smaller room right now. I I see that. You know, <laughs> we're we're hunkering down at Snowmageddon. I just checked. It is indeed still snowing. It is indeed still like snowing. <laughs> quite quite as much, but you know. I've said that for multiple times in the past 10 or so hours, and then it just keeps coming down. Yep. <laughs> so, Mr. Doring, how are you on this, on this wintry afternoon? Yeah. You know, we're just trying to make it through and not, not leave the apartment. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. You know, it was a, last night was very much a, right. Cause it starts, it was, of course it was on Tuesday. It was 55 degrees here. In right. Indianapolis. Oh yeah. So, when running in shorts and t-shirt, it was great. Right. And then yesterday it was like slowly right. Valpo, Indiana, which is way up North near Chicago and South Bend. Right. It, when, when the precipitation got there, it was already below freezing. So before it even snowed here in Indianapolis, Valpo had like 10 inches because it's, it rained here all day. Yep. And then last night it was, as the rain is turning to freezing rain and your car is covered in ice, it's, you're trying to get home before the, the end of the world as, as fire trucks go f- flying past you the other direction towards the interstate because people are, you know, having accidents. But yes, we're okay. We're hunkered down and uh, we're talking some hoops. And today we had a conversation with, with uh, somebody who knows quite a bit about Auburn basketball. Uh, we had Caleb Jones from the Auburn Plainsman, the student-run paper down there at auburn he's a sports editor there also covers some recruiting for uh the rivals uh for rivals.com and their auburn page as well as he's, he's just all over the place and he is uh knows his auburn basketball for sure we talked to him about 35 40 minutes about this season and that the tigers have had so far 18 in a row they just swept alabama with 181 win it's a good time to have somebody on to talk about to talk about the Tigers, not to mention Bruce Pearl's lifetime contract uh, with the university. But quite a quite a good conversation. I'm looking forward to uh, having everybody here, Josh. Yeah, it's not like there's really been a bad time to have a conversation about Auburn. This That's year. Is true. This is true. <laughs> Maybe after the Kentucky game would have been a little bit better, but yeah. after sweeping the in-state rival and continuing to be the number one team in the country as we get closer to March. So we can start having conversations about, and this is something we asked Caleb concerns heading into the NCAA tournament of if something goes wrong, what might that be? Right. We, we have enough data now where we can, there, there's no questioning anything about this team. We right. know who they are. The question is, okay, what does that mean for March and their ultimate legacy, which is still pretty remarkable. We're talking about Auburn basketball's, legacy and how being number one in the country is going to be a disappointing result to the end of the season if it is combined with a early exit from the NCAA tournament. We talked to Caleb about everything from when in the world did he realize that this team really was this special because you and I had the conversation you know into I mean into the new year about okay how good is Auburn actually? Because at this point, their best win is Loyola Chicago and their other most important game was a UConn game that they lost, right? Granted in double overtime. And that's as close as they've, right. That's the only loss they have, but 
we had these questions basically into the new year. Uh, and so we talked about that. We, of course, talked about Jabari Smith, as well as just the idea of Auburn being a basketball school and the SEC, just as much as it is a football conference, becoming a basketball conference from the quality of teams in, you know, in the group to the, the types of coaches that they have uh, up and down, up and down the league. But it's a, a good conversation with Caleb. Enough from us. Let's go chat with Caleb Jones from the Auburn Plainsman. Joining us now, the sports editor of the Auburn Plainsman, doing all kinds of other things revolving Auburn athletics at Caleb J Sports on Twitter. Caleb Jones joining us now. Caleb, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, to chat Auburn with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Um, you know, this is it's it's very rare that a team just winning 18 games in a row in the college basketball world, especially at this point, especially in the SEC, none of these things are all that common. And then when you, when it's a team that was picked to finish sixth in the SEC and a team that was barely inside the top 25 preseason, then it gets even more, uh, even more rare. But uh, before we get to, sort of how ridiculous this season has become for the Auburn basketball team. Will you, how important is it? Because of course, you know, we talk about the, the Auburn Alabama uh, football game for weeks and weeks ahead of time. How big of a deal is it to sweep, you know, an Alabama losing to Auburn 181 and you guys sweep the, that series this year, how big of a deal is Auburn basketball sweeping Alabama basketball does it get the same buzz that that football does I'd say absolutely I mean the the vibe on campus just the the atmosphere and the attitude towards Auburn basketball uh, is that Auburn's a basketball school now that's kind of the mentality it's transitioned into after somewhat of a disappointing season in football and you know just the caliber of talent and competition that not only the SEC has seen uh, an increase in over the last few years, you're looking now the state, you know, Alabama is turned into one of those consistent programs in the SEC. They won it last season. Uh, so they've turned into a really good program. Nate Oates has done a really good job over there. And so there's a lot of expectations for both of these programs now. And so anytime when Auburn traveled to Tuscaloosa, Alabama fans felt like Alabama had a shot to beat them. Alabama had a legitimate shot to beat them. And same deal when Alabama came to Auburn, Auburn fans. Uh, I think Auburn fans kind of had a, a better idea that it's it's really tough to win in Auburn Arena, especially if you're one of Auburn's biggest rivals. They tend to play a little, a little better. The arena's a little more hostile. So there's definitely a huge pride in sweeping Alabama. You talked about the shift in the past couple of years. How much of that has to do with, and you also mentioned Nate Oates, right? Alabama clearly is putting an awful amount, awful lot of resources into trying to make this basketball program closer to the level of the football program. And obviously the contract Bruce Pearl just got the success Auburn's had. How much of that do you think is these two coaches and what they've brought to these programs to really raise their national profile and sort of secondarily to that, what has Bruce Pearl meant to the Auburn campus, the school, in terms of what he, the, 
the pedigree he brought and obviously the results he is now bringing to the Auburn's men's basketball program. Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of goes hand in hand with football. Uh, you have Nick Saban coaching Alabama and the last, you know, since Nick Saban's been there, Gus Malzahn, Gene Chizik, and now Brian Harson, Auburn has been trying to match that level. And it's tough because Nick Saban is a fantastic job. So now you're kind of seeing the opposite uh, where Auburn's, you know, head basketball coach has become quickly in, in, you know, the seven or eight years that he's been here, he has turned this program around into one of the, one of the national uh, favorites. You know, they're, they're not necessarily a blue blood, they're a new blood. And so now you have Alabama fans and, and that school, they want to match that because just like Auburn wants to win in football, Alabama wants to win in basketball. It's, it's a rivalry. And so when you, if, if your in-state rival, your biggest in-state rival is having success uh, in one sport or the other, you're going to want to match that if you're, if you're that program. And so you're going to go out and you're going to hire Nate Oates, who was very successful while he was at Buffalo, uh, because you want your program to compete with your in-state rival and compete with the rest of the league. Uh, as far as Bruce Pearl goes, uh, that man's been phenomenal for this university, uh, for this program. He has turned a program that was barely having uh, many people in the stands. He's turned it into where students are literally camping out in freezing temperatures just for a chance to, to watch his team play. Uh, Bruce Pearl has just done an incredible job at taking this Auburn basketball program that hasn't seen success in, in nearly two decades into the best team in the country. You know, I don't think people quite this camping out gets a lot of a lot of press, right? You talk about Shuseskiville, you talk about, you know, I mean Jeff Goodman spent two days at Texas Tech earlier this week basically just documenting the people who are in line, you know, camping for days at a time. And Josh and I went to Butler and I mean we live and breathe basketball there. If we're not if the basketball team is not good, there's not a ton to get excited about but we don't even camp out. We didn't do that. We'll stand in line for hours and hours, but that's for basketball has to be a really, really, really big deal for, for people to do that kind of thing. And I think that's, you know, it, and this is something that's been sort of stressed at the commissioner and the sec office level about actually putting resources and time and energy into your basketball programs. And now you look at the sec and from top to bottom, when you look at the list of coaches that are in the SEC now, it will rival anywhere, right? Whether, you know, you go down the list and, you know, if you look at the standings right now, you go Bruce Pearl, Calipari, Eric Musselman at Arkansas, Rick Barnes, Will Wade. And that's like, we haven't even gotten to Nate Oates at Alabama. And there's just so many good coaches there now, uh, not just, right, of course, Auburn being sort of the cream of the crop right now but there are so many good coaches it's such a deep conference from a coach perspective and you got to have you got to have the money to to get people to to coach at these programs because these are these are high high value guys that the sec is absolutely loaded with and that wasn't that wasn't always the case right it used to be well can anybody get within shouting distance of kentucky this year and now here's Kentucky at 18 and four and seven and two. And you aren't going to talk to very many people who are going to say that Kentucky is the best, the best team in this conference. Um, as for, you know, 21 and one 
And I don't think he would have, I mean, and I'll ask you here in a moment, but I certainly wasn't finding anybody who was, you know, pegging Auburn to be this kind of a team this year. At what point did you decide that this team had something special about them? Um, Was it pretty quick or did it, uh, did it take you a little while to, to hop on board with how special this team might actually be? It took a, it took a few games. Uh, Yeah. I I didn't, I don't think it really hit me that this team is as good as, you know, as teams are until that LSU game, you know, Auburn jumped out to a quick lead and and they won by 15 against the 16th ranked LSU Tigers. And it was kind of, okay, this team has potential. They go on the road to South Carolina. They win again uh, by 15. Then they go and play Florida and they win by double digits again. And you're like, okay, Auburn has a shot to, to beat Alabama and Coleman. You know, it's going to be tough at that point. They're ranked number four in the country. So, you know, they're good because they've won a lot of games, but they've won a lot of games by incredible numbers, you know, mm-hmm. by double figures where these, these games haven't even been close. Uh, most of those non-conference games weren't close. They were double figure wins. Um, but I think the, the true turning point to where you're like, okay, this team can beat anybody anywhere is after that Alabama victory in Coleman Coliseum, uh, where Coleman Coliseum is a, is a tough place to play. You saw Baylor fell to Alabama there, you know, last week. It's, it's an incredibly tough place to play, especially if you're Auburn. Auburn has not had great success there in the past. Uh, and so to see them go in and win that game, then you're kind of starting to realize, okay, they can – they can go in these tough environments and win, you know? So I, I think the turning point was the start of conference play just to go out and kind of put your name out there that, Hey, we're not messing around if you're Auburn. Um, and then obviously last night was just kind of a, a stamp. Before we get into some of the specifics of this team, the other expectation related question I wanted to ask you is what were your thoughts on this actual roster headed into the season. Obviously you've got some returning pieces from a team that had some strange things happen, COVID disappointing last season, Sharif Cooper, all of that combined with these transfers. And then of course, this five-star freshman Jabari Smith, we, you know, on our, our preview podcast for the SEC, I almost called this Auburn team the most interesting, not that I thought that they would be this good by any means, but that there were just these random pieces that it's, I just had no clue how they were going to fit. And obviously you're, you're following this team and, and getting ready for the season closer than we are. What were, what did you think this was going to look like with this combination of guys who had shown some promise, your Walker Kessler coming in after being underwhelming in North Carolina, your five-star freshman, and just kind of this, you know, it doesn't always gel. Did you, did you think this was going to work? Where were you on the actual pieces before you saw them fit together? I, I think it's kind of like what you said, you know, uh, coming into the season, you had a lot of new guys, a lot of transfers coming in, and you weren't really sure. You were like, all right, let's see what they have. I'm not really sure if they're going to be any good, uh, that kind of deal. I remember when Kessler transferred, and, you know, just looking at his stats at, at North Carolina, I was like, okay, he's a tall guy. He's going to be he's going to find valuable time for Auburn. But I, I'll be honest, I did not see Walker Kessler just absolutely dominate. Uh, I didn't see him – dominating like he's been doing this season you know he is the second I think he's the second best best block shot guy in the country um I may be incorrect on that but 
he's he's phenomenal defensively. He had one play against Alabama where it's one of those where it's kind of small, but you realize how disciplined Walker Kessler is. Uh, the Alabama guard, I don't remember who it was, you know, down low, making a bunch of moves, spinning left, spinning right, trying to create space. And Kessler is right there and he's not jumping early. He doesn't jump until, you know, the actual shot goes up. And this was after two or three, you know, head fakes. And it's just, it's that disciplined defense. And then he's so good down low in the paint. He creates such a problem down there. And, and I think Walker Kessler has has been probably the biggest impact transfer uh, for this Auburn team. Um, Katie Johnson is also just insane. And, and Wendell Green, like there's so many pieces to this Auburn roster to where it's almost, it's almost impossible to say this guy is, the best transfer because there, there's just everybody's got their own skill set everybody's got their own thing you know um but and i think that's what makes this team good is nobody really knew how this team would click nobody was able to really game plan uh for this team and it feels like a lot of the sec still is trying to figure out how do we stop these guys how do we slow them down because there's so many moving parts it's one of our rules here on our podcast, or at least mine, is that I refuse to get too excited about mid-major transfers transferring to high-major teams, regardless of how productive they were at a mid-major school, just because it's a completely different, right? It's a completely different game. And even to a certain extent, like to watch anybody, I mean, Texas is a perfect example. I mean, in terms of the amount of production, just from a adding up the averages from last year perspective, Texas was bringing in like 80 points and 30 rebounds and 15 assists worth of production. And while Texas has been a top 25 caliber team this year, it hasn't, I think, to say that it hasn't clicked to the degree that Chris Beard and Texas fans thought it might would be, would be a fair thing to say. And then on Auburn's side, right, it's when you get five new transfers, four new transfers, um, you're hoping that two of them are really productive. And instead, you get four guys that are really productive. And, right, Zepp Jasper comes from Charleston, and he's productive. And you can completely, completely sort of absorb even a loss like Alan Flanagan, you know, being out for the beginning of the year. Like, it didn't seemed to matter all that much because all of these transfers were so productive in a comparable if not better way than they were at at their previous school and then right because if I told you that they were all going to produce the way that they have then it'd be like okay yeah Auburn's going to be way better than sixth in the SEC but that unknown kind of thing is um is what gives you what gives you pause sixth in the sec like were you pretty much in in agreement with where auburn was getting uh put preseason or were you were you a little higher on them and the transfers than than other than than the rest of the country was i'll say this about preseason polls and this is just kind of what i think is preseason polls are so wrong almost all the time they're so <laughs> impossible I, I think it's really hard to, you know, judge a roster, especially especially if you take Auburn, for instance. You know, this team 
I think putting them at six was appropriate because you weren't able to, you're not, you're not going to look at the roster and say, oh yeah, they're going to be the best team in the SEC, mm-hmm. but you're not going to look at the roster and say, oh yeah, they're going to be the worst team in the SEC because they don't know how to, like they, they don't know how to gel together because it's just going to be a bunch of transfers running around the court in a system that they've got to learn. So I think putting them kind of in the middle is like a, a nice medium to where you're not necessarily saying, hey, they're going to go out, they're going to be phenomenal. But you're, not also, you're also not saying, we don't really know how good they're going to be. They could be really bad, so we're just going to put them down low. No, you're just kind of putting them in the middle. So I'd say that's fair, and um, I, I think you just kind of work your way up from there. But uh, this, this team is just – it's so fun to watch. There, there's so many guys that just, like I said earlier, they've got their own skill set. And like you were talking about, when, when Flanagan went down, and so he went down the off season. You're like, oh, right. this is, that's a that's a big loss for Auburn. You're like, how is this going to impact uh, the game? And then you watch, you know, the first six, seven, eight, nine games. And, and I just remember thinking, okay, Flanagan will come back at some point and just make this team even better, <laughs> right? You know, because there it was almost like, okay, Flanagan's gone, but you don't really. It's like you said, you don't really notice Flanagan's gone, you know. And, and I think. I think the the success of the, these transfers have had uh, has to do with, for one, coaching. Bruce Pearl's done a phenomenal job of coaching these guys up and using their strengths, uh, you know, to manipulate the other opponents and and really can, and confuse them. And and so the, these transfers are also just putting in the work, you know, the, Katie Johnson, Zeb Jasper, Wendell Green, Walker Kessler. They're coming from these these programs, these mid major programs. That, you know, excluding North Carolina, which is, you know, traditionally been known as a pretty good program. But um, you have these guys coming in and, and they're excited because they're going to have an opportunity to play. And so, th- like, they they have the breakfast club. Uh, it's a couple of guys, a couple of them. I think, I think it's like Wendell Green and a couple others where every morning they're in the gym just, hey, we're going to get better. Uh, and then eventually the team's going to get better. So I think that plays a huge role into it. Just these guys want to play. I believe Jabari Smith is also a member of that club. Uh, one, what, what is it like with him on campus? This is a obviously a school used to having Heisman Trophy winners, elite athletes, just not basketball. And two, watching him in person, can you try and describe his game and the th- I guess just the things that impress you and what if if somebody comes to mind watching him his skill set is so unique is there is there something that just blows you away watching him in person yeah Jabari Smith and I'll say this real quick I mean this this Auburn team is so deep that we've gone you know 20 minutes talking (laughs) about this team without even without even really mentioning (laughs) this potential number one pick but Jabari Smith is—he's just been an incredible player to watch in person. If you're a basketball fan, you got to find a way to watch this kid play. He's—he's uh, he's, just—he's an animal on the court. He's so good. The thing that impresses me the most is his ability to shoot over defenders, even when there's not a ton of space. He can—he can—you can defend him perfectly, and he can—he can still hit a shot right in your face. You know that—I think that's the biggest thing. His his step back move to create space is incredible to watch. And just the way that he finishes shooting the ball, his flow of motion is it's 
it's so beautiful it's so just it's like a river flowing you know <laughs> it's just it's impossible to stop sometimes and, and if I was defending Jabari Smith I'd be so frustrated because of the way that you can defend him so well you can do everything right everything that your coach has told you to do and Jabari Smith can still hurt you for three for two whatever and he's, he's just so versatile was there a lot of hype surrounding him coming in obviously he was a highly touted recruit sometimes those guys don't necessarily they don't typically not end up at Auburn also you knew he had talent and there you know some of the other one of the other things we've touched on throughout the season is sometimes these five-star freshmen just don't click right away and they kind of especially if they're not at Duke for example they sort of just go by the wayside and then they come back as a borderline lottery pick that is not what has happened to Jabari Smith. His stock has just continued to rise and he's been one of the best players in the country. What, what was that like sort of the progression of him as Auburn got used to him and realized just how good he was? I, I think Auburn, got, uh, Auburn fans realized, okay, this kid is, this kid's legit, probably in the second game. It's his second career game at, at the collegiate level and he turns in a double-double with 23 points and 10 rebounds. And, and so just the progression of watching him, he's be He's developed well. Uh, Bruce Pearl's done a phenomenal job uh, of just using Jabari uh, as a teammate more so than relying on Jabari all the time. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you have guys that come in and, and they're these projected high lottery picks. And so sometimes you try and rely on them and, and you know, they're going to have a bad game or two. Jabari's going to have a bad game or two. He had one at Missouri. Um and it's and it's inevitable. You got you guys are going to have bad games, and and it's about how you bounce back from that as a team. And Auburn found a way to win against Missouri, and Smith had two points, I think, on that night. And so, you can have those bad games if if you're that you know that projected high lottery pick. But it's about how that team bounces back. To be, to to be on the other side of things, as somebody who watches them every night, if there's one thing that you would nitpick in his game. Um, what would what would it be? What does he, as somebody who watches him every time he steps on the floor, what what do you think he needs to improve on the most to be right? Because the the physical features are ridiculous, and how smooth he is is ridiculous. And there might be nothing more important in the NBA than being able to get your shot whenever you want it. Um, but if there's anything you, that you think he needs to improve on before it's like yeah, that guy, that guy is a, is a lock to be a good NBA player. What would it be? Man, I, I don't know if I can tell you anything. I mean, hey, that's a fair <laughs> answer. That, that's, that's, my, that's my honest answer. Sorry you know? to put you I on watch, the spot there. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Like, I watch a lot of basketball, and I watch Auburn, and I watch Jabari Smith, and I'm not an NBA scout. I can't tell you anything that, you know, he needs to improve on because – he's the best player on the court all the time it <laughs> seems like and, and so that's that's just like a it's a really tough thing to it's it's those nitpicky things that i can't, yeah. i can't tell you honestly <laughs> you know i mean it's right it's even it's it's hard because you're right, even on and i i like to look at what guys are doing on the floor when they aren't playing well and scoring well it's one of my biggest beefs with jay nivey up at purdue right now is that when Jay Ivan's Ivy's clicking, he's 
the most active defender in the country when Jay Nivey is not having a good offensive game. Um, me at five nine and absolutely no vertical and no quickness could could go past Jay Nivey. And right when you right from a very elementary perspective on that Missouri night, he was two of fifteen from the floor, but he also had a couple blocks, had a couple assists, and pulled down ten rebounds. So is still very much engaged um, in other things, even when he's not playing well, which is, which is certainly something I'm, I'm looking for and other, and other top talent. You know, I've been asking Josh this question. Uh, I've asked him a couple times in the last month, um, but did, would you, I, I've been asking him, would he rather have Gonzaga's front court or Auburn's front court? Because I just sort of, it just sort of, I didn't think anybody would come close to Chet Holmgren and, and Drew Timmy up there at Gonzaga. Um, what, um, did you think there was any way that they would click like that, him and Walker Kessler? And is there anything, is there anything that you wish they would, they did that they didn't? Because I uh, also, when it comes to just them, I can't think of anything. I looked it up. Walker is second in the country in, in blocks. And then Jabari is possibly the number one overall pick. I guess is like how ridiculous is that to you that Auburn might have the best front court in the country, and that's in the same season that Drew Timmy and Drew Timmy and uh, Chad Holmgren are doing just fine over there in Spokane. Yeah, no, it's it's unprecedented, man. This is Auburn basketball. So, I mean, you you had the Final Four run a couple years ago that was really exciting for Auburn. Uh, they had a great season, and then the the tournament was canceled wow. last year. The postseason ban, and so you weren't really sure, um, you know, what this year was going to look like. And it's just it's been it's been really cool just to watch this team, just to to be in this moment, honestly, because Gonzaga's been traditionally very very good uh, over the last decade or so. Um, they've been known to have these guys and now Auburn is kind of getting up there with them. So it's just exciting to, you know, to be able to cover this team and be able to watch these guys uh, every night. One of the, to dampen things potentially a little bit, one of the things that I have harped on with that, and you've mentioned this, that I've been so impressed with Auburn this year is the consistency. Every single game, right. It's a usually a 12 point victory. You had to squeak by against Missouri, but, Jabari Smith isn't going to have that game again, probably ever in his college, his short college career. They do it on both ends of the floor. They can score hundred points. They can hold you to 52 looking. It's very clear how gifted this team is now, as you continue to watch them. And obviously we're getting closer to March, the NCAA tournament. Is there something you want to see from this team overall that you haven't seen yet or is there one when things aren't perfect an area of concern that you feel like if they face a certain type of team in the sweet 16 or something like that or if a certain thing happens they might be in trouble is there one concern that you would have if you're Bruce Pearl as you're trying to transition this from a really fun season where we were number one in the country to a season for the ages where we were the national champions yeah, and um, Auburn's lost one game this season, and they responded pretty well uh, with the with you know eighteen wins in a row. 
but now you're you're kind of late in the season. You're in conference play. It's been it's been two or three months since Auburn's lost a game, and so especially with the you know into the regular season, the SEC tournament coming up. If Auburn were to lose a game, I'm curious as to how that would affect things. Does that affect the mental state of this team? Are they going to be able to bounce back fast enough? Are they going to be able to bounce or do they fall into a slump? And do they fall into a slump at the worst time possible? You know, um, I, I think that's one of those things where it's, it's really up in the air. And because Auburn's only lost one game, you don't really know. And they have that bounce back game. It was it was a good bounce back game. I think it was it was either I think it was Loyola Chicago. Yeah, it was Loyola Chicago, and they had a and that's a that's a good win. Loyola's a, a a good team, but Loyola I would say is not necessarily at the same level as a lot of these SEC teams are. And so if you do lose a game, whether that be you know towards the end of the regular season or in the SEC tournament. How does that affect your team going into into the NCAA tournament? You know, and I think that's that's one of those things that it's going to be interesting if Auburn loses a game. And I would circle next Tuesday on your calendar when they go to face Arkansas. Arkansas's coming up pretty well. They they're, they're getting hot, and so that could potentially be an upset. That's what I'm going to say. So it's it's going to be about how they how they respond to that because Auburn's regular season schedule does not necessarily have an easy ending to it you know three of their last five games are road games against florida tennessee and mississippi state um you could lose to all of those or you could beat all of them and so it's going to be interesting to see how they they finish the season out one thing that uh to to answer the second part of your question uh, that's kind of an area that could be an area of concern for auburn is you know tuesday night they beat alabama 181. That's the big story. Auburn scored 100 points, beat them by 19. That's the big story. Um, what you may not notice is that Alabama shot extremely well from three-point range. They shot 14 threes, um, and they still lost by 19, which is you know the the big storyline. But if Jabari Smith or Wendell Green if Wendell Green doesn't score 23 points, if Jabari Smith has a bad night, if Walker Kessler gets in foul trouble, Auburn doesn't win that game, you know, because if they face a team that gets hot shooting from three or just gets on a scoring run and Auburn gets in trouble, whether all their guys start having a you know bad night or, or foul trouble, I think that could be, you know, a potential season ender in the NCAA tournament because you're going to face teams that shoot the ball really well. And Auburn's done a good job of handling those teams so far this season, but it's March. Anything can happen. In that vein, one more NCAA tournament projection question. That that final four team from a few years ago was obviously built on a microwave scoring backcourt and shooting a bazillion threes and making 38% of them to where if you have a bad shooting night, you might very well be in trouble. This team is in some ways the exact opposite. Scoring 100 points without shooting the ball well at all from three is remarkable the guards can get downhill and obviously you've got this huge interior are you more confident in this team's ability to ultimately finish this season the way it hopes to because you have that front court to lean on and you have so many guys who are capable shooters even if they're not all great shooters 
or are you more on the area of I would love to have an all SEC first team guard? The guards have been great. Clearly, Green Johnson, they've proven that what they can do this year. Are, are you kind of concerned that you don't have that one guy who's got the ball in his hands all the time that can decide a game because usually that guy's going to be Jabari Smith and he's not necessarily playing point guard because he's, you know, 6'10". <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that 2019 Final Four team for Auburn, I think is one of those teams that, you know, that they're built that, that, that they could cause trouble for this Auburn team if, if the hypothetically mm-hmm. the two right. played, you know. Um, but I, I think with offense, it's, you know, it's, it's incredibly important to be two-dimensional. Auburn has the potential. They have the players that can shoot the three ball well. Um, I don't know if there's a, an Auburn team in history or there, if there will ever be an Auburn team uh, that shot the three as well as that 2019 team did. But when you're two-dimensional, um, I think you just have less room, uh, less room for like error, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Oh, we talk um, about margin of error all the time on this podcast. Yeah, and if you're two-dimensional, you know, if one thing's not working, the other thing probably is. You know, and you see that like Nate Oates, Nate Oates, Alabama team is very, is, is similar to that you know, yep. 2019 team. That's how that offense is kind of built. Because um, if Alabama doesn't, you know, make all those threes, they're getting beat by 30, beat 35, you know, or if they're, if they're, they, they, it's, it's an inconsistency when you're one dimensional, you know, Alabama lost to Georgia, then they come in, they play well, they beat Baylor. You come in, they still play well. They lose to Auburn, you know. Uh, but when that when that offense is two dimensional and you can score from anywhere on the court, Wendell Green can throw it from full court and probably make it. <laughs> that that guy is just incredible. But anytime you're two dimensional, your offense becomes dangerous because you can't you can't put all your guys on the perimeter because then Walker Kessler is down low, just chilling, ready to you know just set it down into the basket. But you can't put all your guys down low on Walker Kessler because Jabari Smith or Wendell Green or KD Johnson can just pull a three and, and swish it, you know. So I think that's what makes this team dangerous uh, is that they're not one dimensional, but also you can exploit them if you have a good shooting performance. You know, I'm very much a. I'll always be fine if I always have the best player on the floor and having Jabari Smith on your team means that pretty much no matter who you're playing you're you have a pretty good chance to to have the best player on the floor caleb thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us about auburn basketball we very much appreciate it yeah thanks for having me on i really enjoyed it thank you so much caleb for coming and chatting with us about the auburn tigers very very cool conversation dude knows his, his auburn basketball for sure and uh had some, had some very interesting things to say as a guy who, as much Auburn as you and I have watched this year, for good reason, uh, somebody who's watched and thought about Auburn basketball way more than we have. I was glad we waited to talk about Jabari Smith so that it was very clear how knowledgeable Caleb was. Yeah. yeah. And so then he can just say, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how this guy gets better. I don't know what his flaw is. He just right. is 6'10", can shoot. And I, I mean, the assessment was spot on. That's what makes him special. It's the high yep. release and the fact he's 6'10". Yep. It's why the Kevin Durant comparison is there. 
not that his game is exactly like him, but that's the only other player like that I can think of who shoots the ball that well and is that tall. And so they are essentially unguardable. Yep. That, that will always be the comparison in my mind for that reason, that if there is one defining feature of Jabari Smith, it is the one that also makes Kevin Durant one of the best scorers of all time. <laughs> when you're talking about, you know, how is he going to transition to the NBA? That's a pretty good place to start. <laughs> yeah, you know, I would have felt really bad if that was what we started with. And he was <laughs> just like, dude, I don't know. Because right, we, we clearly established his credentials by the time we got to that question. And even he said it. He said, right, I mean, <laughs> All you need to know about Auburn is that Auburn has maybe the number one overall pick. And we've yep. been talking about Auburn for 20 minutes and haven't mentioned the number one overall yep. pick until now. And that's to put it in one sentence, a very, a very good way to put how just how good this Auburn team is. But yes, I would have felt bad if to put him on the spot like that. Uh, because right. That, that, that's the answer. If you asked me <laughs> that question, I'd be like, dude, dude, I don't know. I mean, right. from a box score, score perspective, he's always on. And in the one game he wasn't, he still turned in 10 rebounds and did other good things on the floor. Despite and he's, right, he's good defensively. Score. It's not like he right. doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, of course, there's room for improvement. If I had the answer, that'd probably be what it is, is of course right. he can get a, you know, become a more intelligent defender because everybody can. But right. Right. Because every 18 year old becomes becoming more intelligent. Who has, who has played only high school basketball until this year. Yeah. Right. But and AAU basketball. Right. right. He's a 6'10 athletic dude who is comfortable on the perimeter. I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I will write th- that is if you had to pick one singular skill for your NBA prospect to have, it would be getting his own shot whenever he wants it. And because that's what Kevin Durant can do. It doesn't matter who you put on him. He can get his own shot whenever he wants it. And Jabari has some of those physical features and offensive talent as well. So again, thank you so much, Caleb, for coming on the show to talk Auburn hoops, Bruce Pearl, and all, all of those good things. Josh, got anything else before we get out of here? Just trying to stay inside as long as possible. Oh, we, but but oh, that does mean we get to watch UCLA Arizona rematch. This is true. Can we please get a better one than the one we got last week? That would be very nice. Just because simply I got nothing else to do tonight, so you might as well watch the basketball game. Um, it is at eight o'clock rather than you know. Yes. Was the, was the last one at like nine thirty? The other one was later. Uh, nine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Nine nine thirty. It's, yeah. It's not a Pac twelve after dark. I mean, it's still, but it's not a Pac twelve. No, it is on ESPN. Uh, that one is this evening, February 3rd, as per usual. One moment here, and I'll, I'll give you some of the other the highlights here until we speak again. Uh, UConn Villanova, okay. That's also, a, got some intrigue there. The Fighting Chaka Smarts did it again. The Fighting Chaka Smarts did do it again. I saw a tweet today that um, on, at, on Bart Torvik's website, if you – filter from january 2nd until now marquette's the second best team in the country um which hard is to argue. i know kind of hard to argue you got iowa state texas on saturday as well baylor kansas michigan can we talk about a game that if that fox is losing their mind about right now they're like we're gonna put michigan purdue on big fox on that saturday because it's gonna be two top 10 teams and michigan is 11 and 8 uh on the season but purdue number four in the country uh, Arizona doesn't get any easier for them. They play nope. USC on Saturday. Duke Kentucky and goes to Alabama. And Duke and UNC. It's a yep. big Saturday for college hoops. Um, and a good time, you know, kind of got the, the spotlight this weekend 
as we've got this this week hiatus, of course, before the Super Bowl. Don't forget about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Don't talk to me. Josh <laughs> Allen is literally playing in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week instead of playing in the Pro Bowl. <laughs> like, he is not there because he's playing in a golf tournament instead. This is a professional quarterback in the All-Star game. Can you imagine if LeBron was like, nah, you know, I think I'm good. I think I'll go and play in a charity golf outing instead. You know how much people would lose their mind, but that's just what you do. If you're that guy who has the one great season or Andy Dalton, when you get invited to the Pro Bowl, you say yes. Right. Right. Josh Allen has bigger. Josh Allen is going to go to the Pro Bowl for the next decade. So yeah. I'm sure he'll get a chance to go to Hawaii again if he'd like to. Oh, it's not, is it even in Hawaii anymore? I don't think it's, in, it's even no, in No, no, they moved it. I don't, it's in I don't, Florida, I don't, right? It, it has been in the past, yeah. I'm not going to like I actually know where it is. Pro Bowl. Wow, we're really – see, I wouldn't even call it embarrassing. It's in Vegas. It's at Allegiant Stadium. That's right, yeah. I knew they moved it from Hawaii, and that was about the extent to which I was in. Anyways. Anyways. All of this to say <laughs> nobody really cares. Even, like – like, and not even to get ready for the Super Bowl, to go play golf. Yeah. Oh, and, I mean, fi- final thought here between the Big 12 and the Pac-12, mm-hmm. I've I – have held for a while that those two, these two matchups are going to determine that conference. And then especially once you get Arizona, then having to play UC, USC on the backside of the UCLA game, mm-hmm. we are going to have a much better idea of how those two conferences are going to shake out when we reconvene on Monday. I think you're right. I think that's a very, very fair thing to suggest. Please subscribe to the JHS podcast and that podcast, Spotify and Google podcasts, especially since, it is snowing outside, and I'm in a closet podcasting for you. So will you please subscribe to Jays for Days podcast for crying out loud? Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. We'll be back on Monday, assuming that the world doesn't end from winter storm land. We'll be back on Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I am Josh. He is Josh. And we will see you later.